I had no idea. We were taught that everyone but us had forsaken the way. That you were selfish and uncaring. Now I understand. You were right. I was selfish. And this is what it wrought. We'll rebuild it. Isn't that our history? For thousands of years, we have been on the verge of extinction. And for thousands of years, we have survived. I don't know if I can keep everyone together. There's too much animosity. And this blade is all I have to unify our people. I only know of this weapon what you taught me. To be honest, it means nothing to me or my people. Nor does station or bloodline. What means more to me is honor. And loyalty. And character. These are the reasons I serve you, Lady Kreese. Your song is not yet written. I will serve you until it is. Welcome, everyone, from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode number 509, Mando Recap. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Din Djarin to my Moff Gideon, we have Carl LeClaire. I thought you were, I thought you were, like, in prison. What are you doing out? Well, I'm creating clones and new Beskar-infused Dark Trooper armor. So, what are you doing? <laughs> well, keep in mind. I'm my just help. going a little crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Moff Gideon is back in full action. He is such a. He's got some mustache twirling moments, I would say, in a couple of these episodes that he's, he's back in. Oh, absolutely. And uh, we'll get into it. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm totally loving just the, the, the kind of slight. He seems just slightly off now that he's back, and yeah. I'm loving it. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> seems a little, even a little more unhinged. Yes, that's uh, the word. Um, well, we are super excited to be back to close out. So, right, Jason, it was super fun. We got to, we covered the first half of the season a few weeks ago, uh, kind of just talking through each episode by talking about a couple of our favorite moments. We're going to continue that today, picking up with uh episode five of the season uh uh the the pirate and going through the finale we'll just talk through each episode talking about a couple of our favorite moments um jason i know you and i have talked uh since the season is wrapped about kind of just our general 
take on the season as a whole um, before we dive into our kind of specific moments. You know, with the season now being over, it's a, it's just over uh, as as upon this release, it'll have been over for a week now. Um, that said, obviously, spoilers ahead if you haven't finished the season. Um, but uh, we feel like it's a week out. I'm sure most of you have. Um, but that said, Jason, right. what was kind of just your general thoughts of season three? Um. Overall, it was a really fun season. Um, I would say, uh, and I don't, I feel like I'm not alone in this. I, and I know I'm not alone on the podcast, but I would say it's the weakest of the seasons. Um, that being said, there's still some really great stuff. It's still a really good season overall. Uh, and I had a ton of fun with it. Um, it feels to me like it's a bit of a, uh, a tone change or a focus change within the, sh- the show itself. And so this season is kind of setting up for whatever the next push in Mandalorian is going to be, um, which I would speculate is going to be uh, a lead up to the movie that Dave Filoni is going to be making in a couple of years. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and, and I mean, as you insinuated, I'm in, I'm in the same camp as you on that front insofar as uh, I, I think this has been the weakest season. Um, that doesn't mean I disliked it. Uh, I mean, I love the previous two seasons. It, my honest ranking is the first season is the best. Second season, now the third. I think they've each gotten a little bit um, less good because I don't want to say worse because that implies that they're somehow bad. They're not bad. They're just... Uh, I think this season one was just so good because it was the first live action Star Wars show we ever got. There's something special about that. It was a very self-contained story, which I think a lot of fans were eager for, especially with, you know, the the uh, diverse opinions on the sequel trilogy. Right. To get something like this that it seemed like from the get go, everyone loved this show. Uh, I think season one felt like a very small universe. It was telling a very personal story um and then we got the cameos in season two and season three i I like the way you put it jason it is kind of a tonal shift and something you said when we were chatting about it uh, last week that i really appreciated was um you felt like the whole season was really about the mandalorians themselves it was kind of them going on an arc and uh i just think Mm -hmm. that's a really great point um i remember uh, my friend ben made that observation about season one of Andor, he felt that Andor was really a story about the rebellion's early days. It, the, the rebellion kind of went on a hero's journey more so than Cassian or any of the other characters. Um, so I, I, I thought Ben was really onto something with that with Andor. And I feel like you're really onto something with that with this season of Mandalorian <laughs> with the sense that, you know, it's it. It is very much Bo's story. Mando is kind of second fiddle to her, in my opinion, which I am okay with. But I like your point that it's overall, though, kind of the overarching uh, hero journey, if you will, is kind of this group of Mandalorians and them coming together and uniting. It's really their story more than individual stories, if that makes sense. Right. Is that kind of what you were implying? Yeah, absolutely. It, it You know, we, we start off with, I mean, the opening scene of the entire sh- season is the covert, um, you know, being established on this new world. And then they're fighting this monster and Din has to come in and help save the day. Um, so it, that kind of gives you an idea of, of where this show is. This, this season is focused. I think the, the Mandalorian for season three is the Mandalorian people. 
uh, and it's uniting all of these disparate factions and bringing them together first in a way to just find a home, you know, back on Navarro and then to bring all of the different clans together and to realize that they need to do that if they want to ever retake Mandalore back again, which is of course what they end up doing as we'll discuss in detail here. Uh, And so I think this, this season, obviously Bo-Katan is the face of one faction Din and the armor are the face of another faction. And then we meet a third faction uh, once we get back to Mandalore. Uh, so it's, and we've already explored Din and the, the children of the watch to uh, a larger degree uh, previous to all of this. So that's, I think part of why Bo-Katan ended up taking a bit more of a, a center stage in some ways uh, this season because we needed to dig back into the other groups of Mandalorians as well and then see their differences and then find out how they're able to overcome them to bring it all together for a common goal. Yeah. I like, <laughs> I just like that so much. Um, it, it doesn't, uh, yeah, no, I just, I just like that a lot, Jason. I think that's a really good point. Um, and you know, to your point earlier about it being kind of a tonal shift, I think that's true. I think the show kind of started to be pointed in a new direction. I think where the season ends makes me very excited for season four, um, which Mm -hmm. we know has already been written. Favreau said that I think even before season three started, um, honestly, Jason, I'm of the opinion that I'm all set after season four. I don't need endless Mandalorian seasons. Um, I may be, I may not, that may not be a popular opinion. Um, but uh, I'm very much a fan of shows knowing when it's time to end because I think those those are the strongest shows that exist is the shows that were started with a purpose and had an end in sight. I think shows that just continually perpetuate themselves often tend to fizzle. Um, so I, I trust to a degree Favreau and Filoni. I think Favreau really showed his uh, – I think he, sh- he and Filoni both showed some of their flaws this season. Um, and a point I made uh, – to a couple of friends that I was so, you know, Jason, you and I have talked in, you know, in, in the past about uh, we're sort of in the minority camp that Andor wasn't our favorite Star Wars. Um, I mean, Uh I think we both really respect the heck out of it. It's a really well-made show, no question. But I will say the one thing that Andor, I feel like impacted my uh, observation of season three of Mandalorian is while Andor still doesn't really feel quite like Star Wars to me. um, And again, that's my opinion. I'm not, I don't hold, I don't hold the the gavel on what is supposed to feel like Star Wars. That's always subjective and personal. Um, But I think the one thing Andor did absolutely brilliantly, among many things, was its character work, right? It really developed really rich and in-depth characters. And I felt like this season of Mandalorian, everything was pretty surface level as far as character work went. Um, And... While I think there is certainly character work, and, and that is some of the moments I plan on talking about in our episode today, Jason, uh, I think when you come off of a show like Andor, which just really, really gets you into the DNA of a character, getting this particular season, it just felt a little more shallow. And again, I don't mean that as in saying that the show itself is shallow. I think it's a very different type of show, and I respect it for that. I mean, 
I will always uh, probably appreciate something like Mandalorian over Andor just because I go to Star Wars for fun and excitement, not for like cynicism and heaviness. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> that said, like I do think coming off of Andor as our last live action show, it raised the bar for character work. And I think Mandalorian went a little below the bar from even previous seasons with character work. So that's that's my only big complaint about the season. Uh, is is I would have liked a little bit. There there were a lot of really intriguing questions that never got answered in this season, which mainly is like, how does the the what does the armorer understand the children of the watch to be? What's their purpose? What are they all about? What is what is her, you know, um, what are the points of conflict between her and Bo's original group? Right, like those are questions that I always like that I had all season and they never got addressed, which really bums me out. Um, and I would love to know more of like Din's own spiritual journey. Like what's he thinking as he's experiencing all these other things? Why is he so beholden children of the watch? We don't get any of those answers. I mean, is that's fine, but like, uh, I think it would have made for a much better show if you had some of those character motivations more explicitly explored. Um, so that those, that is my general just overall complaint of the season and and not to to wallow in that that's certainly not what we're here for jason but um i think that's why it's the weakest season to me is because i feel like other seasons have done this work better yeah i i could uh agree with you on that uh the which is why i came to the conclusion that the mandalorian people was the main focus of this season because it's 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 focused on their culture and bringing them all together um, in terms of clans more than in terms of the individuals within them. Mm. Uh, and which is fine. Um, you know, I'm, I'm totally okay for a, a season that is more focused on world building than characters, uh, you know, as long as it doesn't stay that way. So... Um, and I think that's part of why I think this is a tonal shift is because it did a lot more world building and, uh, than it did, uh, focusing on individuals, I mm. think. So, yeah, that makes sense. But makes that sense. being and, said, let's, yeah. uh, let's dive yeah. into the yeah, episodes yeah, yeah. themselves. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, like, and talk about some of the, the great things that we enjoy. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and like you said earlier, I do think. Uh, while I certainly have some quibbles about the season, it is, as you said earlier, a very fun and exciting season, right? There there are yes. some incredible action beats in this season. Um, some of the best fight choreography in Star Wars, I feel like, are in this season. So there's a lot of really exciting, fun things. Um, so let, like you said, let's get into them. So we'll start with chapter, I think, 20, oh gosh, 21? 21. <laughs> yeah, the Pirate. The Pirate. Um, so what's what's a moment from this episode that stands out to you? Oh man, I first of all, I, I just in general, I I quite enjoy pirate stories in <laughs> Star Wars. I just think they're fun. Um the there's a swashbuckling atmosphere in Star Wars that just fits so beautifully with the idea of, of pirates and space pirates and all that fun stuff. So uh that being said, uh, I think one of my favorite moments that I want to talk about um, in this episode is not about the pirates. Uh, and it's <laughs> when Carson Teva goes to Coruscant to try and get help for uh, Navarro. 
and he ends up in the office of his uh, the New Republic officer and has to um, has to go up against the likes of Officer Kane there, and I don't know the I his. His determination and and desire to try and help the people of Navarro, even when the Republic was uh, unable, the New Republic was unable to to send the help needed, uh, was was really good. I I'm enjoying Carson Teva as a background as a, a you know a, a side character that pops up every now and then. I think he's he's great, and I'm sure he'll continue to pop up in the future. Uh, across, you know, multiple series probably. Um, but I do think the scene between where he and Officer Kane are offering their different uh, opinions on what should be done about Navarro and the pirates uh, was really uh, a fun scene because Teba is obviously suspicious and uh, untrusting of Officer Kane, as he should be, uh, considering she got uh, Doctor Pershing killed. So I, I don't, I don't think Pershing's dead. She just wiped his mind. Well, it, it's about as it's a he's as good as he's no good to me like that. Um, <laughs> he's got so a, he's he's about you got a system reboot. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Let's. <laughs> Well, a system wipe at least. I'm not yeah. sure if that reboots, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I enjoyed uh, Teva and Officer Kane's little verbal jousting uh, there. I thought that was a fun session. Yeah, so reminded me a little bit of Obi Wan and Django in Attack of the Clones. So, I uh, was just gonna say that as the way you put it, with it being this kind of verbal jousting. Um, but uh oh my goodness. Um yeah, I I also really enjoy this. I love Captain Tava. I think he's a great character. Um and yeah, I I fell in love with Elia Kane, which I probably shouldn't have. Uh in the episode <laughs> The Convert, I just think she was a really well written and well acted character. Um Katie O'Brien, who who's the actor that plays Elia Kane, uh is my latest celebrity crush. I think she's unbelievable and she's also unbelievably fit um could teach me a thing or two in the weight room i'm no question about that uh, um but all that aside yeah i think it's it's a really really great scene um where you you have essentially like the model of what the rebellion was all about versus the model of the empire which teva is basically saying it's our job to help people in need doesn't matter if they're part of our charter or not right doesn't matter if they're not part of the new republic it's our job to help them and she's like maybe this will be like you know an unfortunate but necessary lesson to the galaxy of why you need to enlist in the new republic if you want to be helped out right it's just like this very imperial aspect and when i was watching that little shakedown too uh, i just Final, like I finally finished watching all of Resistance uh, late last year and the the cartoon and my goodness it is such a good show, and so much of uh, so much of season one of Resistance really looks at how the First Order is using these pirate gangs to create chaos so that they can come in and be the saviors right the New Republic can't help you but we can, so it gave me like a hint of that too right like Elia Kane is kind of 
And we learn, you know, later on that the pirates were kind of in league with Moff Gideon. Uh, so Elia Kane is, you know, helping sow these seeds of chaos while at the same time pretending like, oh, you know, we can only protect people if they swear allegiance. So, yeah, it's a great little mm-hmm. scene, like you said. Yeah, definitely. Well, what about you? What's uh, what's yeah. one of your favorite moments from this episode? Uh, goodness, I, I, it would be the... The, the scene when Din and then Paz Vizla addresses the children of the watch. Um, I love it because it's, it's, I love anything in star Wars that elicits a sense of culture. Um, right. Like all the way back to the, the Ewok feast, right. When three PO is telling the tribe their story and you know, it, it, I love yeah. that scene so much. It gives a sense of the culture of the Ewoks. Um, and I think this is a great scene that gives you a sense of the culture of the children of the watch, right? Like Din's holding the gavel, like whoever holds the gavel is the one that's allowed to speak. Everybody else is supposed to pay attention and you can't talk unless you have the gavel, um, right? It's like when uh, <laughs> teachers used to give you like a massive piece of wood as a bathroom pass, <laughs> you know, to go to the, to go to the bathroom when you were in school. Um, but Din, when he's there, you know, he's, he's kind of imploring the people to like, he really wants them to help out, you know, uh, grief Karga his is his friend. I, I like that. He calls him a friend. Um, and then he sits down with the sense of like, I said what I needed to say. And Paz Vizla gets up and it's the musically, it's really insinuating that he's not, he's not going to be on board with this. Um, and then he just says, why should we do this? Because we're Mandalorian. Um, right. Yeah. Like kind of reminds them that for them, this is the way, right? Like, to help people in need and right. Both pause. Well, Din kind of introduces the fact that if we do this, you know, grief Karga has promised me and probably by extension, all of us a safe space to live, right? We could live. Our children could play in the sun again. Our culture could flourish. And then pause goes with that and runs. He says, not only is this our duty as Mandalorians, but also it's this opportunity to finally have a place where we're rooted, not in the shadows and that we can, you know, rise to prominence once again. And it's just a really uplifting scene. And, and, and I, I really enjoy it a lot. Yeah, definitely. It, it's, it's so good. And, and it's shot really nicely, like in the cave with just mm. the firelight and everything. And uh, it, there's, you know, it, it, it's, it really is evocative of, you know, an old like, tribe council, tribal council of sorts. And, you know, with the the speaking gavel, it, it was yeah. such a great thing. You know, too, it's like that you can only speak if you have this. You can't interrupt. You have to listen. You have to, you know, that's the rules if you want to be a part of this. Um, but yeah, it was it was really great, and I was initially very surprised. Not very surprised. I was initially surprised when Paz Vizsla did the turn in full support of, yeah. of Din and Bo-Katan. But then, you know, obviously looking back and was like, no, no, he's been, he's been on this journey of coming around on Din ever since, uh, they had the confrontation in book of Boba Fett. So, uh, especially, you know, when their sons both, you know, end up dueling each other earlier in the season uh, with the darts too. So that was, uh, you know, they, they, they've seen and they've grown and they've come to realize that there's not much of a difference between the two of them. 
you know, mm-hmm. the, they have a lot in common. And so having, having him make that, that turn shouldn't have surprised me as much as it did. But, you know, in the moment I was like, what? <laughs> but then well, I was like, now, now this makes sense. For, so. all, for all the knuckleheads that thought the previous episode was a filler episode, I don't think people understand what that word means. <laughs> they throw it around like, complete ignorance of what it might imply. Um, but that was the whole, whole point of the previous episode is Din saves his son, literally. Mm-hmm. Like that completely yeah. reshapes their relationship. So if you somehow miss that, I don't know what to tell you, except pay right. the damn attention. <laughs> um, right. It's pretty freaking clear. Uh, so I don't think any of these episodes are filler, to be fair. It doesn't mean you have to love them all, but I don't think there was one thing that was filler in any of these episodes. Um but anyway, separate point. Uh, what yeah. is what's another moment from the pirate you enjoyed? Um, I I thoroughly just enjoy the the whole the whole battle mm. uh, to retake Navarro. Uh, the from the aerial dogfight uh, with with Din and Bo-Katan versus the starfighters and the Corsair to the uh, battle in the streets. Uh, with Paz Vizsla and the Armorer, just uh, it was all very well done, uh, and I, I was grinning from ear to ear the entire time. I don't have a lot to say about it except I called exactly when the Armorer was going to show up, um, so I was like, "Ah, there she is. Uh, she's going to be right there." And then it happened. I was like, "Yes, I knew it." <laughs> um, but yeah, I. I thoroughly enjoyed it and the the way that they were able to balance it all and give everyone their their kind of moment was all is always just really great. Um <laughs> and of course the uh the pirate uh first mate what I forget his name uh ends up getting away running away. So he is <laughs> running away. Yes, yeah. he runs away. Uh, which means he'll probably show up somewhere else along the line. Yeah. Uh, and I'm very curious to see what that's going to look like. Vane, I want to say. Vane. I think, I, so. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. Vane. Yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah, Vane. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, Gorian Shard and his pirates uh, went down the way they should have and all of that. So, and what I will say, and I'll just sort of tack this on, um, as an addendum to this moment, because uh, I, I had a third moment for this episode, but uh, kind of tack this on is afterwards at the end when, uh, why am I blanking on his name? Carl Weathers. I just Grief had Karga. it. And it Grief Karga. Yeah. I know. Like I literally had that in my head earlier and it just disappeared. Um, but yes, when Grief Karga at the end is welcoming the Mandalorians to Navarro, you know, thanking them for, for liberating them. And he says, you know, you may not have a home planet, but you have a home here. Mm. Uh, it was just such a great moment. Uh, and one that I thought was very, very well done. I wish we'd been able to live a little bit more in that moment. Yeah. Um, because the immediately next, the next episode is, Bo and Din on their way to try and collect the rest of the Mandalorians to retake Mandalore. Um, but I wish we'd been able to live a little bit more in that moment and see the kind of life the Mandalorians established 
on Navarro a little bit longer, but yeah. you know, there's only so many episodes in the season. So I guess. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, I'll just second that the the whole battle sequence, like you said, it's just it's tremendous fun, Um, you know, from kind of watching the children of the watch is essentially like this special ops team. Right. The way they the way they operate just reminded me very much of like a special special forces type uh, unit, uh, which makes sense. I mean, they've been training in combat since they were children. It makes sense that they work well together. Uh, Yeah, it's super fun. And. Gorian Shard is one of the coolest character designs in Star Wars. You know, it, again, like one of my biggest indictments of Andor is the fact that there are literally no aliens like anywhere. <laughs> um, so I love that Mandalorian not only gave us tons of familiar aliens, but also gave us some real goofy looking ones like Gorian Shard. Um, and I love that <laughs> the way they steer his ship looks like a big like uh, or, or not or, but like, what do you call those things in an actual boat? Um, I mean, it's a steering, it's a steering wheel. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, yeah, the big, it's, it's so cool. It just, it yeah. made it feel like a pirate ship. Um, oh yeah. I thought that was Absolutely. really cool. Um, but the, the last moment I want to mention from this episode that I really enjoyed is that scene between Bo and the armor at the end of the episode, uh, mm. where she asks her to take her helmet off. And I'm like, cause I was even like WTF. Why, why is she asking her to do yeah. that? Like, is she testing her? Like to see if she's actually loyal to the children of the watch. What is this all about? Um, and, and again, like to, to what I was mentioning at the top of the episode, like the armor, like goes on a bit of a journey in this season. It's just, I wish it had just been more explicit. Like, I think there are things there, like there are crumb, like there are crumbs all over the place that we can easily pick up, but heaven forbid, like you said, they kind of just stay with something for a minute or two. (laughs) Um, but I think what this scene to me represents is really something profound for the armorer. Like when we, when we, when we meet her, she's just a, you know, in season one, she's a very kind of by the book type person. Everything is by code. That's especially true of when Din returns to her in book of Boba Fett, right? Like you're not a Mandalorian. You broke a rule. You're not welcome anymore. Um, and, this scene with her and Bo shows that she understands that it's a new age for Mandalore. Um, and she recognizes that Bo who saw a mythosaur, right? She's, she clearly has come to accept that as truth, not just a vision. She sees Bo as kind of this promised figure in Mandalorian culture, right? Like it, I like that it kind of, it's, it's very star Wars in the sense that there's a chosen one, if you will. Right. <laughs> and she sees Bo as this person who has now lived in both worlds and invites her to take her helmet off so that she can do the one thing that probably no one else can do, which is unite all of these tribes. Um, so I just found that to be a really powerful moment because it shows that the armor, while she is still um, a small part of me actually thought she might take her helmet off in this scene, which I thought would have been really cool. Um, but I like it because I think, while the armor is still devoted to their way, she recognizes that their way isn't the only way. Uh, and I think that's a huge character uh, development for the armor. I mean, it shows that while she is beholden to her way, she doesn't think that everyone has to be part of their way. And I do think that's a great theme of this season is that people can have differences and coexist. Uh, I think that's a very yes. pertinent message. I mean, always, but especially now. Um, yeah. So, and I think that the armor kind of represents that. She's kind of always been the staunch rule follower, dogmatic character who now recognizes that the future of Mandalore will be dependent upon transcending those dogmatic uh, boxes. 
Um, so I really love that moment. Yeah. She is, she's in a sense, the, the guardian of the way of the children of the watch, like of, of how they live out the way. Yeah. Um, and to have come to a point and obviously, you know, in no small part to watching Din, you know, become an apostate and then return uh, and also bring Bo-Katan into things as well. And, and observing all of that and how the two of them were able to work together. I think that's really a lot of what opened her up and allowed her to, to see the larger vision mm-hmm. of claiming home again, you know, because while Navarro, they would have a home there, it's not really home. And I guess that's why we didn't spend so much time there is because they have a taste of home, but they want the real thing, I suppose. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a great point. Um, so into chapter 22, Guns for Hire, uh, which Jason, I'll, I'll tell you right now, it was my favorite. Se- it was my favorite episode of the season. Um, I, I have watched this episode probably 10 or 11 times. It's definitely been the most watched one for me. I love the hell out of it. Um, I think Bryce Dallas Howard, uh, she and Rick, F- I probably, I don't know how to say his last name. Rick Famuyiwa. Famuyiwa. Yeah. The two of them, I think are the best thing to happen to Mandalorian. Uh, she, she and Rick are the best directors in my opinion. I think they're way better than Favreau and Filoni combined. Um, I just, she knows how to tell great stories and knows how to make them feel like Star Wars. And Rick does the same. Um, but uh, yeah, this was my favorite uh, episode of the season uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, and the first reason, Jason, I'm going to go right into it is this opening scene um, with the I don't I'm not going to remember the character names. I don't even know if they were given them, but uh, this Quarren Captain Bombardier and the Duchess. No, 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 not not them. <laughs> I'm talking oh, the opening them. scene. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I skipped, you're, I skipped, you're skipped the ahead opening. to Jack Black and Lizzo. No, not there yet. I did. Uh, <laughs> I did. Yes. Um, I love this opening scene so much uh, because it just Quarren and the Mon Calamari. Yeah, it's so good. Um, and. I don't know. It gives me like a Romeo and Juliet vibe, right? Like they've, they've got this forbidden love and they've absconded together. Um, and I, I love Axe Woves when, you know, she's trying to give reasons behind everything. Like, you know, Oh, I didn't, I didn't do anything to, I, you know, we finally have peace with the Moncal, the Moncala. Like I wouldn't do anything to jeopardize that. And I love when Axe Woves says, I know you did it for love. I'm not here to judge that though. I'm just here to collect my bounty. <laughs> um, yeah. and I, it, it's just so good. It just, it, I I really wish Star Wars would be bold enough to do a Star Wars story that puts front and center an alien character that doesn't look ex- exactly like a human. And I don't it, the Ahsoka show. I mean, it looks like Rosario Dawson with a headpiece on. It doesn't look like an alien to me. So I still don't think Star Wars has had the courage to tell a story with a blatantly alien character as the main character. Uh, so I just love that this episode starts with a love story between a Moncala and a Quarren. And uh, I mean, I love the little tank she's floating in. It's super fun. And I it just, 
like I just want to know their story. It's I think to me, Star Wars is exciting to me when something is introduced and it's just kind of like hinted at. And then it's like, oh, my gosh, I would actually love this backstory. I'd love to know how they met, how they fell in love. Uh, what does the future hold for them? Right. Like uh, and even in season one, if you remember when I think it's in the first episode, uh, when after oh no, it's in the second episode after Din has brought Grogu back to Navarro, he's gets a bunch of bounty pucks. And one of them is for like a Moncala person. <laughs> um so I don't oh, know if it's the, right. I don't know if it's the same character or not. I it, it doesn't doesn't need to be. But I just thought that was interesting. It could have been. Um, it might be. I'm gonna have to go back and check. Yeah. So I, you know, I just I just I liked that just kind of the the silliness um, and the boldness of opening with a love story about two alien characters. I mean, they sort of did that in season two with Frog Lady and, and Frog Frogman. Um, I love their little moments too. Uh, so yeah, I just just really enjoyed the heck out of it. I thought it was a really fun way to start an episode. F- folks, Carl loves love stories in space. <laughs> um, we're just gonna put that out there. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, it was a fun, it was a fun opening. I remember just kind of being rocked back in my heels the first time watching it going, this is different. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's settled into just, you know, normal Star Wars for me now. So it's, it's, yes, it is different, but it's also Star Wars because there's just so many aliens with so many stories all over the place in Star Wars. So why not have a Warren and a Moncala love, uh, forbidden love story uh, as they embody the, uh, you know, Romeo and Juliet, except neither of them die, um, at least not yet. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, I don't have much more to say. It was fun. Yeah. Uh, I I enjoyed it. But yeah, the uh, one of the things I really liked about this episode, um, and I'm sorry, I'm just oh yes, is when and I'm going to skip way ahead. I'm sorry, but it was the one of the things I want to make sure I talked about is the scene uh, on the the planet after they're doing their investigations, and Bo Katan and Dinjar and go down to speak to the Ugnots. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, you know, he uses the name of Queel to get their attention and uses the the words that Queel spoke. I have spoken and yeah. uh, his knowledge <laughs> of how proud Ugnats are of their work and, and all of that. You know, you don't take, you know, don't insult my work, the work of my hands, as Queel would say. Um, you know, and, and all of that. Now he's able to use that in order to get the information they need and communicate effectively with this workforce who has obviously kind of closed ranks because they, they don't like what's happening to their droid, the droids, uh, but they don't know who's responsible for it. So I, I really, really loved that scene. Uh, and just the, the meeting around the, (laughs) the break table, um, as they try to negotiate the information they need out of the Ugnots. And, mm. 
and his history uh, and what he's learned from Queel being able to be used in a situation like this. Obviously, Queel is still one of my favorite characters in the entire show, even though he's only been in like three episodes. So uh, three or four episodes. So, yeah, um, I was very happy to see that connection in this episode. It's a yeah, it's a great moment, um, like you said, because because of the fact that it allows Din to kind of uh, show that he learned something from Quill um, and most importantly, learned how to properly have a conversation and discourse with Ugnats. Um, I found it a little silly that like Ugnats on a totally random different planet. know Quill by name. <laughs> that was a little silly. Like, Oh, I guess every Ugnat knows each other. That's a little ignorant, but okay. Um, I don't but, think, I don't think that was the implication. No, I, I think he was just giving an, a name to, in order to get their attention. You know? Yeah. Well, one of them does look up as if he, I don't know, as if he recognizes who that might be. And to be fair, I mean, Maybe they do because they're also working on droids. Quill clearly was a very gifted droids smith. So all that. And thing. Quill won um, his freedom from the Empire and this planet used to be controlled by the Empire. Good point. So who knows? Maybe he came know? from there. Yeah. Um, but I think the way he didn't use his I have spoken uh, is kind of this. Yeah. And, and then one of the Ugnats also says it back to him, right? Like when they're like, there are no malfunctioning droids. I have spoken, right? Like as, as if, yeah. you know, implying that anything that's broken down is not their fault. It's somebody else tampering with them, which we learned to be yes. true. Um, but yeah, it's a great scene. And, and it's interesting because Bo is totally ignorant of how to interact with them, right? She's, she, she, you know, he basically says to her after the scene, like, oh, you, ins- you insulted the thing that's most important to them. They were not going to talk to you. Whereas Din understands how to interact with them. But what's interesting is then as the episode progresses, we get to see uh, Din's lack of decorum when he goes when they go to the droid bar and Bo has to be the one <laughs> to talk some sense. I will say I saw some people cr- criticizing this particular aspect of the episode, which I do think is accurate, that Din has kind of showed at the end of season one that he's comfortable with droids. But all of a sudden he's reverted back in this episode. The only explanation I would have for that is because he sees B2 battle droids, which are the ones directly responsible for the death of his parents. I feel like that yeah. probably triggered some of his trauma. So I think that's where it's coming from. Um, they are explicitly battle droids. And, and the ones, again, you know, like, that, yeah, the ones that killed his family. Right. Um, he's fine with other droids. It's battle droids that he has issues with. Right. So, yeah. So it just brings that all up for him again. Um, And that's actually the next thing I wanted to point out. Jason, you will probably be a little surprised by this. As you know, and as any folks who've been involved in the show for any time, uh, chase scenes tend to be my least favorite thing in any movie. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite scenes in this episode is where they're chasing down the B2 battle droid. And the main reason nice. is the music. Uh, honestly, Jason, here's going to be my most controversial hot take opinion. I think Joseph Shirley does a better job with the score in season three than Ludwig did in seasons one and two. To be fair, he has the advantage of using Ludwig's incredible Mando theme and other developed themes. 
Um, but I think some of his action cues are way better than Ludwig's. Um, that's my opinion. I mean, I love Ludwig Gorenson. Don't get me wrong, but I think Joseph Shirley, it, it reminds me a little bit of like what John Powell did with solo, right? He took that incredible mm. Han Solo theme that John Williams wrote and did amazing things with it. I think Joseph Shirley not only took the amazing themes that Ludwig wrote and used them brilliantly. I think he also came up with music that to me felt more like John Williams, star Wars than I mean, Ludwig was kind of tasked with make it sound different and he did a great job with that but i felt like joseph surely gave us uh more quintessential star wars sounding music so i just i really enjoyed that and that's part of the reason i love this chasing so much is the music that he scores for it is just so riveting and exciting um and uh and this chase scene also jason it just reminded me of anakin chasing zam wessel on coruscant right that this so much of this episode had such an attack of the clones um uh gosh why am i blanking on what word to use here aesthetic there we go feel the yeah feel that there yeah yeah it just that that scene of him them chasing the the b2 is just like wow i just feel like i'm back on coruscant with anakin uh so and as a massive attack of the clones fan i loved that (laughs) so yeah yeah i just i loved the chasing and i loved it because it it shows how well din and bo work together now right she kind of gets him from behind then you know, Din comes flying through the window. It's just, it's just a super exciting scene. And then those little droids come up and set up the digital, you know, crime tape. It just, it, yeah. it also just yeah. made me think of something from a Clone Wars episode. I, I think, yeah, Guns I was for about Ayer to say, is such a, a live action Clone Wars episode, and it, it's just yeah. so good. And I think this chase scene kind of encapsulates that really well. Yeah, I, I was going to say this has definitely got live action Clone Wars vibes uh, for sure. This episode. Um, no, it's a great scene. And uh, it's funny, you, you mentioned the droid bar. I actually really liked the droid bar. Uh, that was another thing I, I enjoyed. I, they've been sort of hinted at uh, periodically throughout Star Wars. You know, uh, so often we, saw, we finally saw a clone bar uh, in Clone Wars and then again in Bad Batch. Uh, so it's, it's fun to kind of finally see a droid bar and it just... All of that. And I, I like that stop there in the droid bar because obviously, uh, you know, as you said, Din is on edge and is about ready to just like, you know, blow things up and ask questions later. Uh, and that's when Bo has to kind of calm him down and they're able to talk with the the bartender there and get the information they need. I, I do like the procedural aspect of this episode, like the investigatory stuff as they go and they they stop at the different you know places to get the information they need as they you know get more and more and more uh, as they you know discover the culprit behind the malfunctioning droids um but yeah i i don't have a lot to say about why i like the droid bar i just like the fact there's all of these different kinds of droids hanging out somewhere i think that's just hilarious um and i love the fact that Din and Bo walk in and everything just instantly shuts down. Like, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) uh, it's not like a a gradual, like, like, Oh, what, what is this? And then it kind of like shuts down in a wave. It's just like, Nope, everything just, and all photoreceptors just right at them. And I was like, yep, these are droids. Uh, so, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, I, I did quite enjoy that. Um, that scene a lot. 
It's just really, I mean, it's fun and goofy Star Wars again. Um, yeah, it's Star Wars. It's Star Wars daring to be silly and have fun again. Um, and uh, and and I I love the bartender. His his whole rationale of like, I want to help you because this is making us look bad, and we genuinely. We genuinely know we have a purpose. Uh, L three would love this place. <laughs> um, yeah, and well, uh, and I I like that the bartender's whole adage is essentially you know most of us here were former separatist droids, right? I mean, we see B one battle droids hanging out there, and we were all scheduled to be scrapped under New Republic you know regulations. But this is a place that's giving us a second chance, right? And I think. Uh, I think I really, I mean, I just really like that. Like, I like that theme of everybody deserves a second chance, even even droids, you know? Um, I, I, it's really, Quill and L3 would also love hanging at this place. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Quill would, would be just happy as a clam. Uh, one of the things I did like about the, the bar- droid bartender, one of the things he said was, and I'm I, I'm paraphrasing it, but something to the effect of, uh, you know, humans or or yeah, beings created us, but they have such short lifespans. So, what greater purpose is there to serve them and make them happy in the time that they have? You know, I was like, that's a very interesting way for Droid to rationalize all of this and to look at it. And I I thought that was just a really unique perspective that i hadn't really thought about which you know which is which was kind of cool so i was like that's weirdly touching mm-hmm. um <laughs> in a way so uh but i i enjoyed that and i think it's part of why i enjoyed the scene so much yeah um i also just love the the kind of teal blue uh th- uh 3po unit it's so cool <laughs> yeah I, just, I love the teal <laughs> droid cool. it looked really cool uh, well, the, the, the I loved every second of this episode. I mean, like you said, the investigation part, I just felt like I was watching the Batman. It was great. Like just trying to figure out who's causing the problems. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> the end of the episode when Bo goes and challenges um, Axe Wolves for, you know, for the fleet to, yeah. to be hers again. And, you know, he's just basically ragging on Din. He's like, you know, this guy is a zealot who doesn't even have a drop of Mandalorian blood in him. And the way she just stands up for him, you know, I love that Din never says anything his own his own defense there. He just kind of takes it. But Bo is so quick to step up and just be like, he's every bit as a Mandalorian as any of us here or anywhere else because he swore the creed and he lives the way. Um, and it just I love it because it just shows how much Bo respects him and sees him as Mandalorian. It like um, it's clear that this particular group for them being Mandalorian is blood, right? We learned at the end of season one that for Din, at least Mandalorian isn't, you know, it's not, a, it's, it's not where you come from. It's a creed. Um, and mm-hmm. Bo has now accepted that to also be true. So I just, I love the way she just kind of goes to bat for him. Um, and then he also goes to bat for her and basically says, yeah, this dark saber is rightfully hers. And here's why um, I know I, again, I saw some online discourse, but folks really thought that felt silly and rushed. I was fine with it. I was really glad. I mean, I think there was a lot of speculation with the way season two ended of like, wow, if she's going to ever get that. She's going to have to fight Din. Um, mm-hmm. I love that. They chose not to go that route. Uh, right. Like yeah. I love that. They chose to just kind of 
you know, again, be bold enough to be lighthearted, right? Like not everything needs to be super serious and dark <clears throat> and or, um, and, uh, you know, um, <laughs> I loved that she didn't need to fight Din to get it. You know, is it a little yeah. of a silly way? Yeah. Um, but then when we learn in the next episode, we're going to get into the spies. We also learned she didn't technically lose it to Gideon, right? She didn't lose it to him in combat. She surrendered it. Um, so, you know, all these rules aside, uh, I like that Bo is now also living into this fact that like, Hey, you know what? Sometimes rules get in the way, you know? Uh, and again, the armorer is willing to set aside things so that you Mandalore can be united and didn't, or Bo is on the same page, right? Like you all think we need the dark saber, but what we just need is to be together. Yeah. I, this was the other moment I was going to bring up from uh, this episode was the, the confrontation with Axe Woes and the other Mandalorians. And I actually really liked uh, Din's reasoning and I liked it, you know, Partly because of what he said, because you know it's true, and I remember we talked about that uh, in episode when episode two happened. I was like, he lost, you know, she picked up the dark saber, she slayed the droid, he lost it. Yeah, is that going to have ramifications? We talked about that, and yes, it does. Yeah, and I, but what I liked, I think, most about the reasoning wasn't the reasoning itself, but it was when. Din Djarin declared the Darksaber hers. He waited. He waited until this moment so that he could prove to the rest of, of the Mandalorians there that she's trying to win back over that she is, you know, the rightful leader. Uh, he didn't just do it right there in the minds of Mandalore where only the two of them could witness it. He did it in front of everybody, he was like, hey, I need you all to know I was captured and she had to rescue me and she slew my capturer. So that's why this belongs to her now. Uh, it's And it makes sense among with the rules to me. Yeah. So I didn't see any problems with it at all. So, yeah, but I really did like it. And I like that he waited until a moment like this when it was when it counted in order to say it um, rather than just like, like I said, doing it uh, in the mines after they've bathed in the waters or whatever. So. Yeah. Um, uh, shall we get into these last couple episodes then? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so chapter 23, the spies, um, <clears throat> the, <laughs> First thing that stands out to me, Jason, is, of course, the opening of the episode with Moff Gideon uh -huh. talking to what's referred to as the Shadow Council. Um, I mean, this is all a bunch of Imperial Remnant. And <laughs> this is Gideon putting on a show like this is one of his must oh. mustache twirling moments. Alas, he doesn't have a mustache anymore, but um, it's so <laughs> it's so over the top. Star Wars villain it when he's like and we will be rid of the Mandalorians and I'm just like oh my god this acting is atrocious but it's so Star Wars um and, uh, and I mean and Gene Carlo Esposito is an incredible actor so I feel like this is him hamming it up because it's Star Wars um oh absolutely but yeah I mean I love this council that there is right like as as um 
Carson Taba is well aware there is something going on behind the scenes that the New Republic is just totally ignorant of. Um, and this is exactly it. You know, you've got all of these warlords working sort of together. You know that they're not all probably not fans of each other. But I think uh, I mean, I enjoyed it because, uh, you know, we get um, uh, Brendel Hux, which is, of course, Armitage Hux's father. Um, okay. And we we introduced to that character in the the aftermath trilogy written by Chuck Wendig, um, we get we get Captain Pallion, you know, who was yes! first introduced in 1991 and heir to the Empire as Thrawn's right hand man. Um, and uh, Jason, you I think I've told you, and if folks follow our social media, they will have seen. I have been reading all of the new Thrawn trilogies and absolutely loving them and even though i'm still not necessarily like a massive thrawn fan i just love the stories that he's in that zahn is writing um and uh minor 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 spoiler from thrawn treason uh pallion gets introduced there like thrawn finally meets pallion and and they have what you will see will be a probably future relationship but i love in this scene in this episode where Pallion is clearly hanging all of his hopes on Thrawn's return and he's confident that he's coming back. But Gideon is like, well, where is he? He's never been here. It's time for new leadership. Clearly he's volunteering himself. <laughs> um, oh, yes. And uh, yeah, he he's putting things into motion for himself. Uh, I honestly thought that Thrawn would show up at some point in the finale and maybe like put Gideon in his place. But now that I now that I mean, obviously he doesn't and I'm, Actually, I think quite glad that he doesn't. Um, but like, I love that so much of the Shadow Council is st- probably also still like Pallion kind of waiting on Thrawn. Um, but Gideon sees this as his opportunity. Oh, yeah, definitely. No, the Shadow Council was definitely one of my favorite parts of this episode. And like I said, Pallion is my boy. Like, I've always <laughs> enjoyed Pallion from the expanded universe, uh, you know, and the character arc and the journey that he's been on. I, I He's... This is a weird thing to say. He's one of the good Imperials. Um, and obviously in the expanded universe, whether or not this happens, you know, moving forward uh, in the new uh, stories that we're going to get with him now, um, he ends up negotiating a peace between the Empire and the New Republic back in the expanded universe and becomes a good friend of a lot of the the main characters there in the expanded universe. You know, Leia and uh, he and Leia end up developing a very good working really working and friendly relationship um, throughout those books um, over the years. But uh, and if I remember correctly, it's Jason who kills him, uh, like he does so many others. Um, yeah, <laughs> I just I just started rereading the Legacy of the Force series. Um, and yeah, and Pallion is he's basically the head of the uh, Galactic Alliance's military, uh, but eventually steps mm-hmm. down because he's not comfortable with what Jason's doing. But yeah, I think Jason does eventually kill him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, damn you, Solo, uh, Jason Solo. <laughs> um, but no, I, I was just thrilled when I heard Pallion's name said for the first time in this episode. I've always enjoyed the character and I'm pretty sure I saw him in the trailer for Ahsoka, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, it would certainly make sense. I don't recall seeing him in the trailer, but, um, I'm sure he'll be in that show. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, if he's, if he's Thrawn's right hand man, as he always was before, 
uh, then he will be in Ahsoka. Um, but I, again, I love the scene in general, not only because of Pelion, but because of Gideon's maneuvering as well, as you put it. it he's definitely trying to reestablish himself on top now that he's free from New Republic custody and is actively trying to uh, seek the power that the vacuum uh, is is trying to fill. And he is doing it right now in the most flamboyant and uh, demonstrative, demonstrative way possible. Um, <laughs> he's not shy about it whatsoever. And I think... The, this is, leads into something else that I wanted to mention about Gideon is that he's definitely, as, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, gone a little more unhinged uh, here in this season. And uh, it's, I'm wondering if the whole interaction with Luke and, you know, Mando and, and the rest of them at the end of season two is kind of what pushed him over that edge, or if he was just very good at like hiding all of that that mania uh and then it's just gotten to the point where he's like yeah screw it i'm just gonna be me at this point and not worry about keeping it all contained um but he's definitely kind of pushed into a different level than he was before uh which i think is good because if we had just the same kind of calculating Gideon, uh, as we had in previous seasons, uh, things wouldn't have necessarily gone the same way. But he's definitely, I think, gone just a little bit more manic, I think. And that's thrown him off just a little bit and uh, enables enables the others to take advantage of things, as we'll see in a few episodes. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. But... Um, <clears throat> Well, uh, the next moment I wanted to point out for the episode that I love, and it's one of my favorite episodes of the whole season, or one of my favorite moments of the season, is when Bo, or excuse me, when Din swears allegiance to Bo. Um, you know, it's mm. it's one of the few great character scenes uh, all throughout Star Wars. And I don't even necessarily, I don't need them to be well acted. I just like them, <laughs> you know, from the I don't like sand moment to uh, every balcony scene that's ever existed. Um, and this is almost a balcony. It's a moving balcony, um, kind of like Han and Chewie mm, right. in Solo. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is Bo kind of, she's come to this point now where she's got the groups united, but is unsure that it's going to work well because they're still very contentious. She's standing in this space of kind of pity and self-doubt. And Din comes and lifts her up. Uh, I love it. It's a really beautiful scene where he, you know, he says like, she's like, all I have is this stinking blade to unite our people. And he's like, you know what? I don't, I don't give a crap about that. And neither do my people. What I care about is that you're just like, is that people have honor and are good characters and are, and are just good people. That's what you are. And I'm going to serve you until your song has been written. Like, it's just, it's so beautiful because I think, her being essentially the main character with the biggest arc, I would say in this whole season. And Din is kind of the, the observer of that particular journey. He sees her as somebody incredible. 
Um, you know, there, there's a lot of people out there that are shipping them, right? Like that think think that that want them <laughs> to get kind of together romantically. Um, I still don't 100% see it. I also still don't 100% understanding why we always need to ship people like in like romantically. Like, why can't people have bonds that are beyond romance? But that's that's my own take. Um, right. all that's I, I'm not against it. I mean, if it happened, great. I it's fine. But um, I kind of like that it was something different in this scene. Like, um, it's it's incredibly beautiful like he comes into this person who is just like i said riddled with self-doubt and concern and basically just says listen you're a great person you have incredible integrity and i'm gonna follow you until this is complete um and she clearly feels you know nothing but respect for din as well so to hear that probably really lifts her her wavering spirits so i just find it to be this this beautiful character scene where um for din it's just he i feel like din just he'll swear allegiance to anybody who's who's just a really good person um uh i'm gonna i'm gonna break out of star wars for a second just to make a comparison and it probably won't work for a lot of people because they may not know what i'm talking about but my favorite series of all time uh my favorite book series which is also a tv series is called the expanse um, and there's a character in that show and then in the books called Amos, which is who my cat is named after. Um, and Amos is this incredibly strong, brutal character who really struggles with morality. But what he understands is that it's important for him to connect himself to people that he understands to be good because he doesn't see himself as good. And he he swears allegiance to the people that he understands will point him in the right direction. I don't think Din Djarin is the same as Amos insofar as like he has no moral compass because he certainly does. But I think similar to the story of Amos is he sees something special in Bo and wants to devote himself to her until her story is complete. Um, and I just think that's beautiful. I mean, I've encountered a lot of people in my life that I think are just incredibly wonderful people. And I just kind of align myself to them because uh, I see myself getting better by just being in relationship with them. And I think that's what this is for for Din. Um, could it be romantic? Absolutely. Does it have to be? Absolutely not. Um, and I think that's what I appreciated about this is, is that it's ultimately just about one character saying to another character, you got this and I've got you. And I love that. Yeah, no, it, it's a really great scene. And I, I, again, I'm with you. I don't, there are so many things that people just jump to shipping, uh, romantically. And I'm just like, I don't see it, you know, and we've talked about this before with other characters in star Wars. Um, I don't, I don't ever see it really with Bo and Din. I don't see that happening. The, she's got a much bigger responsibility and focus than he does, which doesn't mean that they're not compatible uh, and couldn't make it work. But I, I don't think, I don't think there's anything that they have done that would lead anywhere romantic because what they're what they're doing is they're working uh you know for a greater cause and they are you know and he is in this scene specifically uh pledged her himself to her leadership uh in terms of their people uh and the the culture and i don't think Din is necessarily uh, 
going to try to make a move on the leader of the Mandalorian people. We're just going to put it that way. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But one of my favorite other favorite moments from this episode comes from the very same setting as they're skimming along. And of course, Paz Vizsla and Axe Wolves get into a fight, uh, which we saw coming. Everyone saw coming Mm -hmm. and it, it had to happen. Well, uh, nobody is allowed to jump in, really. Nobody from either side is allowed to jump in and stop the fight. Uh, except someone does. That's someone being Grogu in the IG-12 suit. Uh, and he stands there, you know, he pushes them apart and he does the great no, 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 no thing, which I love. I love his little suit. I think it's great. Uh, it, it cracked me up. Um, but we get that moment where he steps in to to bring the peace and Bo turns to Din and said, you trained your apprentice well. And Din says, uh, he didn't learn that from me. Uh, and it's like, hmm, maybe, maybe there's still some, some of that, that Jedi way in little Grogu. And it was, it was a nice little moment, I think, for Grogu. It, it's it's something where, uh, you know, he's starting to be able to stand on his own, literally and figuratively, um, in this season, and being able to stand up and to step in to a situation that doesn't involve his dad directly, I think, was a big step. Um, and I'm very curious to see how that develops in the future. Um, because obviously he leaned very heavily into his Jedi training in the last two episodes here. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it was, it was interesting to see that kind of shine in that moment. Uh, not only just in the force skills, but in the way that he operates, uh, with people around him. So uh, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, it's a, such a great moment. Um, uh, Cause as you said, right. It when Din's like, should I step in? She's like, nobody can. Like if anybody steps in, it's just, it's just going to escalate the fight essentially. But Grogu, Grogu is a Mandalorian essentially. I mean, he becomes more officially one at the end of the episode, but I mean, he's part of this endeavor now too. And He's not really part of either clan, so he is the perfect person to step in. Uh, it's yeah. it's absolutely brilliant. And what I lo- what I love is not only is it effective coming from I mean, in the eyes of everybody, he's a child, even though he's probably older than all of them. Um, but again, developmentally, he's much more of a child than all of them. He's mm-hmm. the one who's able to see like this is not going to get us to where we need to go. He stops it, and then when the monster appears and kind of destroys the ship, I love that it's. Axe and Paz together that grab IG-12 with Grogu in it and fly him off. I love that immediately they kind of come together to save the person that saved them from each other. I just, I thought that was a great little touch too. Yeah. So nice little, little rhyming beats there that pay off. Yeah. So, um, did you have anything else from this episode? Um, 
I mean, I, I just think Paz Vizsla's last stand was was very fitting for that character. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't necessarily need to say too much about it because uh, you don't really expect Paz to go down any other way than the way he did. And I felt like they did him justice in all of that. So um, it yeah. was. it's interesting that they brought the Praetorian guards into all of it uh, and that it took three of them to take him down. Um, but... Yeah, I, I think his last stand was definitely fitting for the character and was a great just uh moment for for everybody. So Yeah. Uh and and to that scene, uh kind of looping back to something I mentioned earlier, the the choral music uh Joseph Shirley gives us for the Praetorians. Um and then he uses mm-hmm. it again in, in kind of a more even a fuller way in, in the, the finale episode when they show up again and and, and Bo's dueling with Gideon. Uh, I just I love that choral piece. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Um, it's it's really fun yeah. to listen to. Um, I think the only other thing I was going to mention for this episode too is I just I continue to love Gideon. I think he's a great villain. I mean, I hate him, and that's what I love about him. I love villains that I hate. Like, yeah, I, I hate him so much. Like I just want to punch him in the face, which it, <laughs> which is exactly what he should be. Like, um, I mean, yes. it, I. It, it, the two villains that I hate most in Star Wars are Grand Moff Tarkin and Moff Gideon because they, to me, are – Palpatine is like caricature evil and I'm very okay with that. Like he's 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 perfectly evil. He's a perfect villain. Um, but to me, Tarkin and Gideon just like – they're tyrannically evil. Like they're just absolute mm-hmm. tyrants and, and they're far scarier because of how calculating they are. You know, Vader is scary because he's big and strong but he's – you know, you get him emotional. He's going to get unhinged, <laughs> you know, um, Gideon and Tarkin though. Like the, the, I, the, to me, they're the most despicable villains in all of star Wars. And I mean that in the, in the best way possible. Like they are great villains. Um, so when Gideon shows up I and mean, he's such, he's just such a pompous asshole. I'm so glad he's finally freaking dead. He better be anyway. Um, I'm so <laughs> sick of bringing villains back from the dead. Um, I, but, uh, I, it's going to be very hard for them to explain how he survived that inferno. Oh my gosh. Um, the amount of people saying, Oh, it was just a clone. It's like, no, they made it pretty explicit that Din killed all the clones. Cause Gideon's pissed that he did. Um, it's pretty explicit yes. that that's the real Gideon. Um, they're like, oh, he doesn't have a mustache. Dude, it's called a razor. Like, people shave. <laughs> like, it doesn't mean he's a clone. Um, it, he just escaped so. from prison. They probably made him shave it. Exactly. Uh, yeah. While he was being transferred. Like, right. Um, but all yes. that aside, I just, I, so him showing up there at the end, I just think it, it is a very good cliffhanger ending for that episode. I honestly thought, Jason, the one thing that I was really expecting to happen was once Din has been subdued by those guards, I really thought Gideon was going to come up and take his helmet off. Um, mainly just, and I, I honestly wanted him to only because I was really curious what that would then do for Din. What does he choose to be moving forward? So Again, to, not to, not to harbor in like the things that didn't work for me, but this was another thing I was really hoping for this season because like I thought going into it, this was going to be a season where it was going to really be about Din understanding what it means for him to be a Mandalorian. But that's not what this season was about at all. He knew what it means. He knows what it means for him at least. He's just he's a children of the watch. That's what he wants to be. Fine, that's good and all. I just wish they'd give some explanations to why it means so much to him. But all that to say, like I was, I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be like a really traumatic moment where he pulls that helmet off in front of everybody, and then Din in the finale is going to have to, you know, probably figure. I mean, I don't know. What, I guess he can just go back to the living waters and take a bath again. I don't know how that works. How many times are you allowed to do it? <laughs> but uh, um, uh, I don't know what that lo- how that loophole I don't works. Know. But, but all that to say, like I just. 
I feel like that was just kind of a missed opportunity. And it's also the first season where we don't see Pedro at all, um, which is the dude's just a voice actor. I mean, I love Pedro Pascal. I think he's one of the coolest humans out there. But I do think he gets too much love for a part he doesn't physically act in at all. Like, I love that Brendan Wayne yeah. and um, shoot, what is the other guy's name? Um, uh, give me a second. But look, uh, I love that they're both in the, the main part of the credits now, though, too, because they deserve all the credit for that character because they bring him to life. Pedro's just the voice. And I shouldn't say just the voice. Like, uh, he, Sorry, you got his name? Yeah. Uh, Brendan Wayne and Latif Crowder. Latif Crowder. That's right. Um, but those two are just phenomenal. Um, anyway, sorry. I don't yeah. mean to like get into all well, that. I mean, I don't course, mean negative. Uh, Pe- Pedro has gotten incredibly busy uh, sure. in the last several years. That's true. I mean, a so, lot of folks said that he probably was so busy filming The Last of Us when they were doing this season that he probably only had time to do voice work, which is, again, it's fine. Um, but it was more of just like, I, for the story's purpose, like, I was really curious what would have happened if he had been unmasked in front of everybody. Um, so, But that didn't happen, yeah, so we don't have to worry about it. <laughs> that would have been quite something yeah um but but yeah the you know the way it went down was really good um but that's gonna lead us right into of course the return the season finale um what's uh what's one of the first things you wanted to to Uh, bring up about this episode everything for me is kind of well it's a short episode really um but mine's more the back half um the first thing I was going to bring up, though, is just Din and Grogu versus the Praetorians. Um, <laughs> I love the two of them working together. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I will. I don't. I mean, I don't think I could ever get sick of the cuteness of Grogu. I love him. I love him when he jumps out of the suit and he's jumping, you know, along the the ceiling lights there. And when he finally yeah. comes down, it's just such a sad little moment. I mean, I knew he wasn't going to die, but uh, right. And then Din comes sliding in, and just they have to work together. Um, I, I just love it. I mean, Din is, I was a little surprised how well Din did against them considering Paz Vizsla kind of gets his ass whooped. <laughs> um, like, like Paz puts up a decent fight, but he gets owned pretty quick. Whereas I don't know why their weapons can't pierce Din's armor. I don't know. It, it, some continuity errors there. I feel like, but all that to say, I think Din fights better than Paz, one, because I think he's a better fighter, period. And secondly, he's fighting for something very explicit in that moment, right? He's fighting to save his kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I like that. And he definitely is getting tons of assistance from Grogu, which I love that Grogu is using the force in very subtle ways, right? Like it's just like a, a little nudge to like move the Praetorian out of the way. It's a force push to push his weapon away, right? Like it's just it's this great little team up moment where they working together is what allows them to win. So I, I, I just, and I love the choreography of the fight. It's, it's just really well done. I, I'm going to just say, you know, in, I've got one huge moment and then two smaller moments, uh, two very small moments from this episode. And the big one is really just the fights mm. that we get in this episode. They're so good. Yeah. Um, that of course being one of them. Um, and honestly, uh, I was rewatching the episode, uh, this episode today before all of this. My favorite shot of the entire episode is when Din, Bo, and Grogu are all going after Gideon mm. there at the end. And, you know, things are starting to explode as the ship is crashing down. And Grogu hops over something and does this little slide as he force pushes Gideon. <laughs> so he does a knee slide just, too. It's so good. 
I was just like yeah. that that sh- that one shot is now stuck in my brain and it is my <laughs> possibly my favorite thing uh from the entire fight choreography is that one little shot of this tiny little puppet just doing like this like half eye squinted uh slide and force push uh along the floor as sparks and fire are raining down behind him. I'm like that's just the the best like image in my brain right now. Um, <laughs> is, but no, in, in all really seriousness, the, the whole fights, uh, the, all the fights in this episode are great. I like how each of the different characters gets their own fighting style. Um, Sikorska is her name. Uh, the, the, Oh, um, Sasha, the Banks other character. female Mando. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, um, yeah, it's not that, but it's something similar to that. Um, Costco leaves or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. She gets her, her kind of uh, style with the blasters and her little uh, knee rockets. Yep. Uh, Costco. It's Costco. Yeah. Um, Of course the armor just goes in (laughs) hammer and tongs. Literally. Um, (laughs) I love watching Bo fighting with the dark saber. Gideon has a great fighting style that they've given him, you know, enhanced by his dark uh, trooper armor. Uh, of course, we, you know, continued great choreography for Din and uh, Grogu and all of that. But yeah, uh, just everyone having their own individual style and everything and it, the way it all worked together, it just came together brilliantly. And I think they really went all out with the choreography in this episode. And I just, I have to shout that out because it was just amazing. Yeah. Um, well, I'll, I'll interject real quick with one of my other little moments is Din and Bo protecting Grogu too. Like, even though he, and then he also protects them. I, I just love this little, this little family that started to develop, uh, where, you know, first Grogu does a knee slide and then, Din does a knee slide to protect Grogu and then Bo does a knee slide to protect Din with her shield. So it's just it's just really great. They're all working together so well. Um, and just in that moment, it's just that little scene that's in its own way. It's the microcosm of the macro story, right, of all of Mandalore coming together to defeat this empire and take their home world. Well, here you have a child, a child of the watch, uh, a former Death Watch person who doesn't, you know, to a night owl, to a foundling. Like they're all working together to defeat this Gideon character. And then of course, Grogu protects them from the the fireball. And yeah, it's just, it's such a great little scene. Yeah. It's really, really good. Uh, I, I do love the, and I, I, I love the fact that after he protects them from the fireball, he also falls down on his butt. Like he's tired again. Cause so I'm like, yeah, Oh, but, good. but notice he's not he still nearly has as tired though. Like, right. Like when no. he went in the season no. one finale, when he, uh, you know, does that same thing. I mean, he passes out for a while, right? IG 11 has to pick him up yeah. and carry him. But here he just, yeah, he plops to his butt, but he's still fine. Like he's, he's certainly yeah. gotten a lot more powerful since being with Luke. Yep. He's still got his limits though. Cause he's sure. still, He's still just a little kid. He's still just um, a little guy. Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh man, I can't wait for his first words. Um. I I almost expected them in this episode. Um. But the uh, one of the other little moments, just a little moment, was in the midst of all of the, the battle. Once the, you know, the the forces escape the the Imperial installation before the re the reinforcements show up. 
the Mandalorians are able to hide in this grotto mm. underground. Um, and we get the scene. It's a beautiful, beautiful setting that they've, uh, they put together with this, this garden, uh, these, that they planted underground as the life is coming back to Mandalore. Uh, not only in terms of the Mandalorians themselves, but the plants and of course the animals, we've seen quite a few of those already. Um, but life is returning and, you know, you, you almost have a Jurassic park moment, you know, life finds a way. <laughs> that was, that was, uh, was bouncing in my head too. <laughs> you know, so uh, I, I just, I just love that we took a breather in mm. that space and got to see that the planet could be okay. Mm. If it's, if it's cared for, if it's tended to um, after just the, the hellscape it's become uh, and been put through, it could be okay uh, if it's tended to and, and watered and planted and all of the stuff that, uh, that these survivors have been doing for years now. So I just thought it was a great little moment. Yeah. It, I'm with you, Jason. It is a great little scene. And um, for all the things you said, it just proof that the, the planet is healing and can heal. Um, and I like that, it, you know, the, the characters that said that we, you know, we've been planting them and cultivating them. And Bo is so surprised. Cause she's like, I didn't even like, this is stuff from before my, like any of our lifetimes. Like this is stuff from like, that was early indigenous Mandalorian fauna, if you will. And it's coming back mm-hmm. now, right? Maybe there's this opportunity to now live outside of those biospheres that they were obviously living in, in clone wars. Um, yeah, that's a great little moment. Uh, and the last one for me that I want to mention is the closing the closing moment of the yeah. episode. I love that it's a happy ending. I honestly was expecting like a huge cliffhanger, like Empire Strikes Back type ending for this season. There was just something about that vibe that I was getting. And I'm just so glad that that's not what it was. Uh, I love that after Andor and Bad Batch, which both had, you know, both had just pretty dark cliffhanger at type endings and or a little less of a cliffhanger, but definitely dark bad batch, super dark. Um, I like that. We didn't get another dark ending. Like I like that star Wars. It can be fun and light. Yes. That is in fact, a very important aspect of star Wars that a lot of people seem to forget about. Um, uh-huh. and I love this closing shot. It's super fun. It's really adorable. And you know who should be there with them? Omera from chapter four. Um, oh. you know, she, it's the same type and of her, life. And her she daughter. Was, and her yeah. daughter. Yeah. Cinta. Um, I think it's Cinta. Um, maybe that's a different character anyway, but yeah, like I, it, I also just love that the, the, the first shot of it, we got this really adorable, very Star Wars looking homestead with the N1 parked next oh, to yeah. it. It made me think of that shot in a new hope with Luke's land speeder parked outside of Ben's homestead on Tatooine. Yep. You know, it just, yeah. it just, it, it felt so good that Din has a home now. Um, he has a place to lay his head. I love the way, you know, grief tells him that he's like, you know, in between your adventures, now you have a place to settle down. Um, and you know, Grogu's practicing with the force on that frog, like, and then that like Iris in of the circle, it's just such a beautiful closing shot and just such a happy ending that they just, they have a home together now for their little family as, as grief cargo put it. Um, so I love that we got a happy ending. Uh, Omera's daughter is Winta. Winta. Thank you. 
when Sintas so. were close. Else. They're close. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so good. I, I just, I perfect ending to me. Yeah. I, I loved it. I loved it. I love that he adopted Grogu at mm-hmm. the end. Um, and I love how it felt like the armorer was kind of pushing him to do that. She's like, well, he can't, uh, you know, he doesn't have parents. He can't become an apprentice. So he doesn't have parents. This is the way, you know? Uh, and so when he said, I would like to formally adopt it. And she seemed so pleased and happy when she said, this is the way mm-hmm. like it was, it was the most like joyous you I've ever heard the armorer uh, <laughs> in that moment, uh, which is a weird emotion to put with her, but Hey, uh, she just got the giant forges of Mandalore back up, so maybe she's feeling generous. Um, <laughs> but yes, the fact that you know the family is official, uh, and we and Grogu is now Din Grogu, uh, which I love, um, and the two of them get to go get a homestead on Navarro, and it, it, it is, it literally is such a wonderful little ending. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. Just the two of them out there on their homestead, getting ready for their next adventure. Yep. Uh, and such a perfect way to end this season, in my opinion. Agreed. Um, yeah. And so to that end, I really hope season four goes back to a little bit more of a serial type show. Like season one was a little bit more of a, Din Grogu story. I mean, I'd be fine if Bo shows up in it. I'd love it if Boba Fett came back in some capacity. But uh, I, I still think the show is at its strongest when it's when it's devoted to the heart of the show, which is Din and Din and Grogu. Um, yeah. So I think it will. Um, but because he is now working for the New Republic, uh, which you know, yeah. on a case by case basis, of course. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know. It is going to end up – that's going to be how we're going to get Din and Grogu wrapped up in whatever is going to happen with Thrawn mm-hmm. and lead into the movie in a couple of years. So um, that's my prediction at least, and I don't see any reason why it wouldn't right. be. Um, but yeah, no, it's definitely going to be a serial thing, and they're going to start finding little uh, dots to start connecting, and it's going to be great. So I'm – thoroughly excited about what season four might have for the two of them. Um, especially how things ended. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Me too, Jason. Me too. We, uh, we talked a lot about this. We about did this season. Yeah. There, I mean, there was a lot to cover, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but I'm glad we did it. Me too. Me too. Well, uh, any final thoughts before we kind of start closing this down? Because it was such a su- such a fun season, and I think that's I think the word that I want to kind of leave everybody with. It was really fun. Yep, right there with you. I think that's I think that's the best way to talk about it. Well, uh, in that case, Carl, if people want to weigh in on any of their thoughts uh, from these last four episodes of Mandalorian or just season three as a whole. Where can people get in contact with us? Uh, we are on Instagram at uh, the Wampusler. We're also on Twitter at Wampusler. You can email us at Wampuslerpodcast at gmail.com. 
Excellent. Uh, and anything else before we close this down? One week away from Star Wars Day, baby. One week away from Star Wars Day. Well, thank you everyone so much for listening to this episode of the Wampus Lair Podcast. This has been episode number 509, Mando Recap. For Carl, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time here in the Wampus Lair.